welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey, really, we are talking to Hamish Grierson today. He's the founder of Thriver, and this is an awesome conversation. It's the second time that Hamish has been on the podcast. He was on here around about five years ago. So we're talking about everything that he has been up to with Thriver from about five years ago to now. We talked about the pandemic. They won a huge contract in the pandemic, which allowed them to obviously grow their company and do some epic stuff. But we also talked about all the things that make up why Thriver is the best, how to actually think about growing this type of company, the three things you should care about in the journey when doing a home diagnostics or home blood testing company, um, all about clinical governance. Did you know they've got a medical device as well, a genuine software as a medical device um, regulated to help them with their tech stack? Um, some awesome stuff in here about competitors, about trust, about um, venture capital and frankly, just having a health tech company that's been around for eight years, everything that Hamish has learned on that journey, or at least some of it, I'm sure there's plenty more. Uh, might have to get him back for a third time, but uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this one. So Hamish, welcome back to the Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, James. Thank you for having me back. It's been a little wee while. You're very welcome. It has been a little wee while. And I think if anybody wants to hear the full story from you in terms of the origin story of Thriver and everything that you're doing in the early days. You can go back to episode, goodness knows what it was. It was so near the start. You're a very early supporter of the Health Tech Podcast uh, being a guest, so thank you for that. But five years is a long time in, well, any career or industry or job, let alone owning one of the I suppose, more famous of the health tech companies that's been around for a long time, um, operating in so many different spaces, doing so many different things and growing the rate that you have and acquiring government contracts and dealing with a pandemic. And God, there's just been like so much that's happened for you guys in the last five years. But I'll start by asking, given all of that, how are you? <laughs> uh, given all of that, how am I? I am, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I was hoping you'd say thriving as a bit of a pun on your company name, but I'll I'll let it go. Thri- yeah, very tempting to do that. I um <laughs> I think I I get lambasted by uh whoever it is that that you know clocks my um <clears throat> my, my my turn of phrase in, uh, in in the business. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm very lucky. I uh I'm <laughs> on the business front could never have predicted 5 years ago where we would be now. Yeah, I'm just very lucky that I continue to work on something that I care very deeply about and work on it with a bunch of people who are incredibly capable and I'm supported by the most immense family and uh, and friends and you know I'm in good health and uh, for all of that I'm very very grateful. Awesome so let's address some of that in a bit more detail then so the first phase I guess is I guess the bit before the pandemic, I mean, there's a massive global pandemic here in the middle of this whole story that we've obviously can't ignore and and everything that you guys did during that. But in terms of like the, the last five years and your growth, you were definitely hitting your stride like when we spoke last time. But what's that growth phase been like for you? Like what 
where 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 do you think you were at last time if you can remember when when we spoke and like what was that bit like we can deal with the pandemic in a little bit but like i don't know some of the challenges some of the because the reason i ask as well is like i don't think there have been many companies like yours that were at least you know in part b to c and utilizing new technology like you were and almost sort of bringing a market to the table of like at home blood testing and this whole like optimization of health stuff you were sort of almost before your time uh, like you consider how frequent that sort of conversation is now and all the companies that have popped up doing very similar things like you guys have been around a long time so like what's what's that been what was that like i guess like in this period of seeing other things come up and you guys being what I what I understand is relatively market leaders and all that sort of stuff. What was that period like? It's yeah, I mean, it certainly has as a market changed materially over the last five years. There's no there's no getting around that. And it, I think one lens on that, that answer is just how much time do we spend looking at the competition versus sort of focusing internally on on what we're developing. And we try to you know, to be honest, spend as little time looking sideways as we can get away with, because I firmly believe in the analogue of looking sideways and therefore running into lampposts, something I actually have done. Uh, <laughs> probably probably uh, the reason for why I'm so attached to that particular metaphor. <laughs> but no, I, you know, in truth, we when we came into the industry, we found very quickly that the solutions that we were developing for our own uh, our own uh, use cases in the direct-to-consumer realm, as you uh, as you referenced, they they had to exist because there was nothing else to to lean on. You know, we had to create the platform that integrated the the varying corners of the diagnostics ecosystem, and then build technology that ultimately enabled us to deliver a very very high quality service to people. It's been really you know, at times nerve wracking and at times very interesting and at times actually also very gratifying to see that, you know, the competitors have come, um, some very directly, some kind of indirectly and, you know, a handful of them have come and then gone. Yeah. And, you know, they've ultimately, uh, I think, in error, made the assumption that this is a an easy market. And I'm the first to acknowledge that it's not that, you know, this is not a build it and they will come kind of deal. It's just not, you know, health and healthcare tend not to orientate that way. So yeah, it's been, it's been really, really interesting. And I think the, the focus internally on just ensuring that we are building the right things and we're building them the right way. And, you know, when things do get tested because you see a new competitor or someone raises some money or staying true to our, our mission, you know, why we're we here, try to use that North Star to draw on the often cited startup idea, um, but to avoid distraction wherever you mm. can. And it's really difficult. It is really difficult. But, you know, more than once over the course of that five year stretch, we've had to ask ourselves whether it's really core to what we do best and to say no to some stuff. Um, that might be a good logical idea, but just, you know, isn't going to be something that we're going to be world-class at. And yeah, I suppose over that five-year period of time, the, the sort of fundamental difference then relative to now is just the amount of 
technology that we've built. And it's a sort of obvious thing to say for a tech startup, but, you know, we find, find ourselves in 2023 sitting on a suite of capabilities that have taken years to build, right? It's just a, um, it's a very difficult set of things to, to get right. And you're dealing with very, very high profile, um, data use cases, you know, customer trust is, is absolutely paramount. And we've just spent a long time figuring out what those problems look like and, and building solutions to solve for them. So yeah, it's been an amazing period of time. And as you said, the, the, the pandemic was a catalyst for change, the likes of which no one could have predicted. Mm. And we'll come on to that in a sec. I want to talk to you about competition, actually. You mentioned there, <laughs> you know, looking sideways and you'll run into lampposts. I think that's that's wonderful and uh, a sort of a, a beautiful beautiful bit of visual imagery there that yes and you talked about getting distracted as well by I think you were more referring to sort of products and features and different things that you could be doing in that sense but actually it's it's sort of similar you're talking about the notion of getting distracted by competitors or at least looking at what they do trying to change what you're about ultimately isn't the right way when you've got you know your own customers that you can learn from is is what I'm assuming you're saying it's interesting man because like I um, well, a couple of things. Daffid from Concentric that I had on here, he talked about this really nicely when he said that, you know, and I believe him when he says this, that ultimately, because Elon Musk says similar things, like when he talks about electric cars and all that sort of stuff, that ultimately, like, competition in the market is good because it's just, you know, if you're on a good thing, it makes the world a better place and it forces us to be better and all that sort of stuff. And I know that is often like a, mm, do they really mean it? But, like, I know for a fact dealing with our own perceived competitors, who people perceive our competitors as being, that sort of thing. Like, you do end up having a little glance, a little look, and like, you know, okay. And it does, it, it gives a little bit of fire behind you. And yeah, like you, you, you see people come and go. But the other thing that I'll mention is that I met with, um, I actually met with a competitor, uh, a, com uh, a competitor CEO. And do you know what? The, I mean, they said they were very surprised that my, uh demeanor outlook because i was just so inviting and just so like d nice i guess that they weren't really expecting it um but i was like like the world's a bad enough place without us just being needlessly like not very nice to each other like at the end of the day like i respect anyone doing this game you know like and, and it's and it's so interesting because i think of everybody that i've ever spoken to about what i'm going through bar jess my co-founder this competitor CEO was probably the person who understood me the most in the entire world. They knew all of the problems, they knew all of the nonsense, they knew all the difficulties, they knew all of the ups and downs. And actually, like, there was such an empathy there that I received a really nice email afterwards that they said, like, I felt compelled to just say, like, that was a really nice chat and thank you, like, really enjoyed it sort of thing. And But ultimately, we also said, yeah, we're in competition with each other. Like, but it, there's no need to be nasty about it, you know? Like, we are, and that's fine. Like, you know, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know if you've ever met with your competitors. Yeah, I mean, we, I would say we have done actually over the course of an, a number of years and the competitor set has also changed. Mm. And I think, look, it comes down to, I think, a, you know, a few different approaches depending on who they are and how they operate. And the one thing that I, I would add to what you've said, look, I, I tend to take the same view, which is more often than not, providing that the market's big enough and it's not a one, um, you know, a one winner takes all uh, heuristic. Yeah, 
you are probably going to gain more because it turns out this thing you can't quite do, they can do, and probably vice versa. Absolutely and your correct. your approaches are probably going to be, you know, idiosyncratic enough that yeah. you will probably win some and they will probably win some. I'm, yep. I'm talking in generalities here. Yeah, 100%. The, 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 the one addendum, though, um, from my perspective, is when people... I mean, we actually had someone... Um, I've not thought about this for a long time, but they did a direct ripoff. I mean, it was a Whoa. classic. I mean, I, to be honest, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the gall of the backer and the founder uh, to, to do it. They had copy pasted nigh on every single part of what we'd put out into the public domain and changed the colours slightly, and had even <laughs> gone to the same suppliers that we were using. Oh, wow. A, a fairly stiff word with. Oh, so it was more than just sort of superficial. This was like... Oh, no, no, this was a, This was a. you know, people talk about copycats. This was a carbon copycat. Um, and my reaction to that was very different. Yeah. My reaction to that was, I owe it to the people who have put their trust in me for years and, you know, are expecting us to to continue to, to, to do the best yeah. here to defend our territory. Absolutely. Yes. With the full force of your resources and the and, law. And I, and, and I went in, yeah, exactly. And I went into bat yes. hard uh, and, and we were successful in, in, in getting that business shut down. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, as a general principle, I think, yeah, being open and um, having a bit more of a learning mentality, I think tends to serve serve me better sounds like mm. you the same um but yeah. Yeah, don't get me wrong it uh certainly does keep the fire in the belly seeing what, <laughs> um, what others are doing it, yes it does yes it does and I th- as you say i think that's a good thing the other thing you mentioned there you've built a load of new technology in the last five years um for someone who might not completely understand what technology is actually needed behind the scenes of what you're doing what is that technology and how is all of that technology helping Thriver run as a business? Yeah. Do do you know what? I think it's, um, it is a place I'd like to spend a little bit of time because it's not immediately apparent actually. And if you just look at, you know, there are businesses out there that ostensibly do something similar, uh, at Mm. least on, um, on paper to Thriver. And to answer the question or to, to, to cover the topic a little, it's important probably just to jump forward a touch to, 2023. So we still have the direct-to-consumer brand uh, on Thriver.co, but we also have, uh, and it's a a very big part of what we focus on, Thriver Solutions, which is where we power third parties who themselves need access to a a, a solution, and that solution is often very different, um, for remote or multi-channel diagnostics. And so what's like a, what's like a direct, like give me like a per, like a an example of that like really practically so if you are super drug and you want to provide diagnostics on the high street um mm. it's a long way from your core competency mm. they work with thriver we do that with super drug as an example we'll talk about the technology that makes all of that um a good choice from from their perspective um and then you've got insurance providers um you've got you know, research clinical trials um, we're increasingly working with corporates uh, and insurers as the intermediary or um, flex benefit providers. Mm. So, so uh, in aggregate, James, it's effectively where you have a uh, a solution or a suite of customers who need diagnostic insight 
or diagnostic data, but to actually get that out of people, what are you going to do? You could try to build that yourself. Um, and most people realize at the outset that that is a very bad decision. Or you could work with a third party and then the choice is, well, who do you work with? Mm. And the reason that I am, I'm very proud of what we've built is I can say head held high that we have built the best platform in the, this market in totality. Certainly within Europe, there are, I think, actually some very good um, platforms in, uh, well, one in particular in North America. Um, but I think ours in uh, in the European side is just head and shoulders above the pack. What is the the true sort of differentiation and uh, defensibility of what we've developed? So if you sort of take it in um, in chunks, so running diagnostics actually can be broken into about three um, kind of core activities. There is the uh, receiving of an order and then what you do with the order. And that typically is sending a test kit to somebody or having them drop into a physical location or sending a nurse out to them. So there's the sort of the ordering part of it. Then you have the uh, analytics, so the actual processing of the sample. And then finally, you have the presentation of that information to the individual. Every single component part of that um, is dependent to a large degree on the other part. So there's a very, very high degree of um, interoperability that actually in uh, the traditional ecosystem does not exist at all. And we've had to develop the platform to create. So if you just follow those, um, those sort of three parts of the journey through. So on the ordering side, so we have developed um, a whole host of ways in which we can receive orders. Let's just take a really basic example. Let's say you are a third party, you want to send us a CSV file with some orders that you want us to fulfill, and then we'll do all the analytics and we'll get the result data back. We'll talk about that. Okay, so CSV folders uh, or CSV files, what can possibly go wrong in the realm of diagnostics? Uh, you name it, it happens, as is the case in all theoretically straightforward SFTB upload um, uh, type of solutions. But we've had to go and experience what can go wrong and then build the validation protocols into our platform. So we know how to identify problems before they come up or we can fix them on the way mm. to ingesting that data. And that's just you know one very simple way of ingesting orders into the platform. Then you have, okay, we're going to... Uh, we're going to send a kit out. Well, uh, what are you sending out? It is a test kit uh, that is going to be uh, hopefully as straightforward for the individual to collect a sample with as possible. Right? That's what it's designed to do, trying to do. But in lots of our um, uh, sort of competitive player solutions, they don't have the ability to pre-link a kit to an individual to a specific type of test to a laboratory. And our ability to do that is actually governed by the fact that we've built software that's running. There's an actual app in a warehouse that is running to enable us to be able to do that. Now that app also, and because it sits within our walled garden of software, um, is something that we have a huge amount of control of. So if we want to be able to iterate on uh, the individual and all the test and all the laboratory, 
or any combination of those things, we can do that very, very quickly. And if you think about the fact that not even Amazon has the ability to do that at the moment, that's a really differentiating uh, capability. And okay, you know, what does that end up meaning? It means that actually when a test kit goes out to someone's house, it comes pre-linked to you. So the chances of you then having to open up a website or an app and punch in the barcode, as used to happen, if you remember, with the PCR test, um, and you used to get you know, 20, 30, 40% failure rates as a consequence of people getting that step wrong. So we have just built an engine that does that very, very well. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff like, okay, you want to fulfill it. Who's actually going to take it around the country for you? We've got very deep integrations that take a long time to get right with the likes of Royal Mail. We're integrated with other non-Royal Mail couriers as well. So there's a lot of optionality on that front. Um, and then you've got, okay, you've got a um, different use case. Maybe it's a, uh, a survey. Do you want to power a clinical study? Well, perhaps they want to send a big bulk, you know, a literal pallet load of kits to a, a physical location. Well, that's really different, actually, to sending a point-to-point test that's pre-linked. Mm. But we've been able to develop the software to be able to do that and the fulfillment processes to do that as well. So it, you know, any permutation, really, of that requirement, we've built the solution uh, to, to cater to. All right, so then you get the kit out. Let's assume that the person is now trying to collect the sample at home. You know, It's difficult to do that at the best of times. We have just iterated and iterated and iterated on how you put the package of um, kit and instruction, um, instructions, physical and digital, the prompts, the CRM layer, you know, all of that is kind of table stakes f- for us because we think that that is the only way you get um, a repeated, uh, a repeatedly high degree of success in the home. And then it goes back to a laboratory and we're very lucky that we're, you know, pretty tightly integrated with our, um, with our, really very capable lab partners and all of the information flow into the laboratory, how we've worked with them ultimately to optimize that process, as well as the process of the information coming back. Um, you know, it's dealing with a file format called HL7, which is, you know, pretty gnarly at times. It wasn't designed for the purpose of this um, at all. It's sort of the common file format across most of healthcare. Well, okay. What happens when the data is put in the wrong place? What happens when the data is missing? What happens if there's a an error in the way that um, a reference range is being input? What happens when the, the systems that they run change and how they talk to ours? You know, all of those are things that if you have not done diagnostics before, you're going to get hit by, guaranteed. And um, that's just the sort of practical operational reality of working with a, um, a supplier like that. Next layer above it, though, is clinical governance. So what happens when you've got a um, patient safety or a customer safety mandate on your shoulders, which we um, uh, very regularly do? And the answer is you build technology and process that ensures that when something happens that's um, either worrisome or you know an error that needs to be uh, picked up and handled quickly, you've just built all of those automation protocols into the platform so that they don't become worrisome. Mm -hmm. And there's another layer above that, which is we've actually registered a medical device uh, with the MHRA that does uh, a lot of that uh, automation um, process as a software registered medical device. Wow. 
And so we're, we're only like two parts of the way through, right? And then the final part is almost the bit that is most well known about Thriver, which is how do you then present the information back to people? And is it intuitive? Is it as personalized as possible? How much did you spend actually getting a doctor to write that report and how much was automated to increase the quality and reduce the error rates, you know? And again, we've got um, medical device software that uh, was built to help uh, support that, to increase the quality and um, reduce the cost, to make it safer. Um, we understand because we've done so much um, uh, customer uh, research over the years, what people can make sense of, what do they like, what are they not? So the sort of information layer that makes sense of that diagnostic, uh, uh, diagnostic data, you know, I think we've got a, you know, a very, very strong, a strong handle on. And then in the B2B context, that's really important, right? Because sometimes we're going to actually be able to engage with you directly through our brand. But oftentimes if we're working through a partner, it needs to be under their uh, branding and libraries. So we've built white label capability as well. Putting all of that in the, in the mixer, James, you know, it's, I think fair to say that our goal remains very much the same. You know, diagnostics is really, really hard to get right. And it's also critically important that access to diagnostic data grows. You know, more people have um, access to it in a tried, kind of trusted, sensible way. And we've built we've built that. That's the that's the platform that um, that we continue to to, to to grow and continue to work on today. I've got a million different questions and comments here, but the first thing that I want to really ask you about or highlight, I guess, for listeners is I, I remember speaking to Mo from PKB and very recently Yonatan, the founder of Healthy.io. Businesses that have been around for a few years in healthcare and health tech, <laughs> the phrase I want to use is they hit different. And they do hit different. And I was trying to think about why. And the word experience comes to mind. And I was like, what actually is experience? And I think that you talked about, you know, we had to encounter some problems and then figure out how to get beyond them. And similar to you and I recording to this pod, recording this podcast, I recorded 320 odd episodes of this podcast and everything that has everything that could have possibly gone wrong has gone wrong. And even a new one, when you and I tried to talk today that we then have to route through a phone and record somewhere up, but ultimately we're here and we solved the problem. The point is, is that I think when you've been around for a long time, you can quantify kind of experience, you can quantify experience in yes, the volume of problems that you've then had to solve, or even at the other end, the volume of things that when you've got the right attention to detail, you've gone and optimized. And I think what you've just explained screams both of those things at both ends of the spectrum. Yes, all the problems you've solved, but actually, and I sort of want to focus on it. We always talk about problems in in, in health tech and on, on this and stuff, but like what you've optimized and what you've got the real attention to detail for seems to be this notion of, what is healthcare? Healthcare is people feeling cared for. And you talked about the word trust there. It's one of the final things that you said. And that bit about presentation of data to people, you said is about building trust. Now, and, you, and your, your, your goal in that is to build the most amount of trust and present it in the way they understand and blah, 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 all these different things. 
And it reminds me of that phrase that people don't remember what you did, they'll, but they will remember how they felt. And it's sort of that for me in the delivery of the information of healthcare. It might not, they, they also say, you know, phrase in medicine that good doctors get away with murder, literally. Like it's sort of, you know, it matters massively how you deliver information to people. And I'm sure you're aware of that being an entire almost science of its own and, and getting that right. But it, to, to bring this full circle to what I, what, what I was talking about and comment on your answer there is that when you talked about those three different steps, this isn't a simple process. This isn't whacking something in the mail and then sending it to a lab and then giving people the results somehow on an app, I'll figure that out later, we'll get a UX designer to sort it for us. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, th this is years of perfecting a process. And I think my question now comes, to, to finish this thought, where does that stack up against raising VC money and needing to grow quickly because you and I will both know that when you're trying to scale too quickly, processes fall over and th the ability to, to have more patient investment and go more slowly means that your processes will be more robust. You'll come up against those problems. You'll find ways to solve them. You'll figure out where to optimize, but you'll also figure out how to do it. And you're allowed a bit more time to do it. Or is it the fact that, hey, the, the, the investment comes in, that's massive resource. We can actually solve these problems very quickly and we can just go at breakneck speed. But I don't know, talk to me about like, I don't know if, if any of that chimed with you at all, but like, but also like, how does that play, play off against investment? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I, I think the, I mean, the one helpful thing that Theranos did, it did plenty of unhelpful things. <laughs> um, all great answers start with, did. do you want to hear the one <laughs> yeah. good thing? They, here's what they did well. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, no, the, um, the silver lining is that I think investors have understood from day dot that table stakes for operating in this arena are just not the same as they are in a, you know, just a sort of unregulated, low trust, therefore um, fake it till you make it kind of environment. And you, I, I sort of think about the um, single match to burn the forest down analogy with the, with the trust lens on and Therefore, you know, we haven't really ever felt a that it was the right thing to do, or b that it was advantageous to cut corners. And therefore, you know, yeah, sometimes you do probably move more slowly than your traditional VC would like. I, I think, though, what's been an interesting change over the course of the last three years is the appreciation amongst the investment community that the biggest asset actually becomes the platform, right? The the thing that is the reason. Um, partners select Thriver as opposed to either building themselves or working with our competition is that it is easy to make it look like you've got some stuff in the cupboard that's like ours. And actually, we've had experiences where they've been, you know, our competitors have been selected over us. Thankfully, not many of those experiences, but it has happened <laughs> once or twice. And then you realize that all of that stuff that you need to have in the cupboard, they don't have in the cupboard. And well, why don't you? Well, you haven't been working on the problem for eight years and they are intractable, thorny, complicated things to figure out solutions to. And we just, we benefit from just having been around longer. Yeah. The one thing that time has given us is exposure to the things that go wrong and therefore the opportunity to 
solve for them and build the technology that does that. So the appreciation ultimately that the asset is the, the platform and everything that it does because it's within that platform that we house all of the stuff that I've talked about. That's come a long way. It, I also have to acknowledge the role of the pandemic in all of this because two things are true. One, you know, we got to effectively prove that the platform could handle phenomenal scale pretty much overnight as a consequence of us powering the Department of Health's at-home antibody program. And two, that diagnostics and the importance of having diagnostic data uh, just changed forever over the course of you know the first um, couple of years of the pandemic. And with that, you know, a number of organizations have come to see the value in um, baking a, you know, a consumer or a participant or a patient-friendly diagnostic solution into the core of what they do. Um, and you know, thankfully, that makes us a very, very uh, useful partner for them. Yes, the pandemic. What a time to have a company that did what you guys do. Um, I know that we've talked, I mean, so many episodes on the pandemic and things that have happened, but still relatively defining for you for reasons that we talked about off air, but I'm wondering how much you want, like you want to share on here about, you know, what that contract or, you know, what that did for you as a company and sort of how, how did you deal with this massive amount of business that just came in? And I guess just a practical question, like, what does that, what does that mean for like your sort of growth journey? And like, can you hire against that money knowing it's like a, you know, a single contract and it will end? Or like, how do you, how do you figure out like how to grow and scale with something as anomalous as a massive government contract that like sort of changes yeah. everything? Like, how, what's that like? Uh, it's hard. Is the uh, is the short answer? <laughs> it's uh, really complicated, really, really complicated. I mean, look, we, you know, in answer to you, know, what 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 did it mean? What does it mean? I mean, without any shadow of a doubt, if you had decided that um, you were going to get into sort of B two B empowering third parties, you might decide that in five or ten years you'd like to power a national program you know, tens of thousands of tests a day in, you know, that would be like your, your pinnacle point. And instead it was one of the first things that we did. And, you know, that is quite intense. I'm not going to lie, but the reason that we could do it and, you know, we delivered that program very successfully and I'm incredibly proud of the team that, that, that did it and the, and frankly, the, the technology itself, because it, it did exactly what we said it could do. And there were a lot of people who didn't think that it could or wouldn't. And in a sense, that, that that use case was the perfect illustration of what I was talking about. Because if you are, as a organisation, left to try to manage all of the uh, variety of um, suppliers within that ecosystem yourself, mm. um, it is incredibly complicated. And I think the Department of Health on the PCR testing side were managing... 70 plus suppliers and brilliant people working around the clock. Trust me. I mean, literally around the clock yeah. to, to, to make those programs a success and, you know, say what you will of them, um, you know, in, uh, in retrospect, but 
they were intensely complicated programs. And you know, here is Thriver. We just happened to have, um, have built this one-stop shop solution that is designed to be used as an end-to-end um, uh, end-to-end capability. So it allowed us to prove what we were saying it could do at phenomenal scale. Yeah, I'm just you know, very, very proud um, of the people who were involved in in doing that. And we would never obviously have hoped for that to have been the way that it got proved, but it did give us a, um, a huge credibility and we carry that to this day. What was it like? How do you hire against it? And, you know, what were the uh, sort of resourcing consequences? I mean, that was, uh, you know, every day was a massive learning curve. And we have, you know, we scaled up and we've scaled down a bit, um, knowing um, that some of the complexity as those programs concluded um, kind of washed out with um, the programs. And we were, in effect, able to get back to BAU um, in in a sort of slightly more obvious sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was incredibly intense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no getting around it. Very, no. very full on. Yes, one thing that that pandemic showed, I think, talking about you know this contextually in terms of what you guys do, I think one thing that the pandemic did for people, some people anyway, is <laughs> like me. In fact, is it's people like me looked at it and went okay, we managed to like whack together a point of care diagnostic test for a disease that is only just cropped up. And we managed to do that relatively quickly and get it to pretty much every single member of the population slash the world almost. What else could we be doing at the point of care that we are not? How can healthcare be made way better by just doing more of this that's clearly possible technologically? And I can accept you know, some corners were cut in the in the route to getting it to market and regulation and, you know, all these different things. Did the same with telemedicine, the scale of that and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, the point I'm trying to make is if we're able to create these devices now that, that can do these point of care tests, then what else could we be doing that we're not that would improve healthcare quite significantly? Now, perhaps the answer is somewhere in the detail here of like, look, there are bigger problems to solve than a bedside test that, you know, tells you whether you've got a common cold or not, or whatever. But I don't know. Mm. As, uh, what's your opinion on this? Like, has the market shifted at all? Like, are, are more people looking for more point of care stuff? Has demand for that in other areas gone up? Like, how do you see this playing out? And where do you see the Thriver position in this as we go into a new future with this potentially? I'll answer the last question first, James, and I'll come back to th- thinking about the slightly wider ecosystem question. I mean, I believe that our place in that future is to be the one-stop shop platform into which all of those things are integrated. Yeah. And I say that because whether you're talking about um, point of care where the actual sample is processed in the home and Mm. never goes to a laboratory, or you're talking about um, a central lab-run process that is collected in the home, or somewhere in between those two things... Mm. I don't think matters. Ultimately, mm-hmm. you are going to need to put together the ecosystem that enables you to do it at scale, safely, at low enough cost and high enough quality. And I don't think that any one of those 
technologies in isolation is going to individually change the game. I do think that the platform that it can integrate all of them over time, and just to be clear, we don't integrate all of them, but we do mm. cover a very broad spectrum already, is the most useful thing. Now, look, I would say that, but it's also the thing that I've seen happen where you know people take a point solution for this particular thing and then they realize that it doesn't do the other things. Well, what are you going to do now? And the answer is, well, we've got to do another point solution with all of the same challenges and all of the repetitive um, integration challenges and actually the um, the risk profile might be different because actually you're dealing with a different data set. So I really do believe in the value of an integrated platform that can that can make that stuff available to the appropriate use cases. Now, where do I think the market is going? I think it is uh, it's coming actually back, having had a bit of a dip. I think everything happened in the home post and um, during the pandemic. Post pandemic, uh, I think there was a bit of a, um, a peddling backwards uh, because people just got back to their sort of BAU pre-pandemic uh, way of doing things. And now actually there is real investment going into trying to refine some of what was positive about, you know, allowing people to do stuff in the home or, or uh, enabling them to. And those use cases are undeniable, you know, whether it is decentralized clinical trials or uh, real world evidence gathering or just you know, academic research, um, you know, all of those are having to find more participant-friendly solutions. And actually, diagnostics is often the lowest common denominator. So I have two hours away from the trial site. Okay, well, you've got to go every week for six months. So, well, your chances of churning off that trial are pretty high, or even if once yeah. a month for six months, you know, yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's yeah. still pretty frustrating. So the 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 economic mandate that's driving that is actually pretty pretty hard to argue with and we're certainly seeing that in some of what uh, some of what we're doing and then on the consumer side you're just seeing i think finally the realization from uh, the big sort of pharmacy and retail uh, providers that you have to understand uh, an individual to be able to connect them to a solution that makes sense for them and as you know pharmacy starts to pick up some of what was previously mm -hmm. done by primary care by necessity because you know, primary care is so under pressure, diagnostics is going to continue to be a really important part of that ecosystem, even if it's out of primary care, right? So how do you, for example, um, you know, engage with a telemedicine consultation provided by a pharmacy yeah. without the diagnostic also being able to happen in the home as, a, yeah. as appropriate? So there's a, you know, again, a real drive um, uh, into that side of things. And then on the sort of corporates and insurers side, it's, very, very clearly the case that um, insurers and corporates appreciate that they've just got to do more for their staff. Mm. Now, whether you take the view that that's happening because there's a concern around what access the NHS is able to provide, or it's simply because people are uh, in a more competitive jobs environment and having to invest more in, in, uh, in the benefits mm. and perks that they provide, it kind of doesn't matter. It's just very evident that the preventative, personalized, keep people well and be there for them as an employer. I don't think that agenda has ever been as far forward as it is today. And that's only going in one direction. The question will be what happens to the economy in aggregate and just how much money is there to invest in those sorts of things. But you take a, you know, a five-year view, 10-year view, that trend is only set to, to go one way, in my opinion. Yeah. 
It's so interesting, man. I think the businesses like yours, right? The oh, I've said this for a little while now. I think there are there are a handful of businesses like yours that sort of did, which is what I believe Spotify did in the very early days. They built a shop, built the Spotify technology, and then realized, hold on a minute, we've got the infrastructure technology that every everything else can sit on. And why don't we sell that? And then Shopify becomes this like integral part of just putting up a B2C store online and all of a sudden it's then just incumbent, right? There are a handful of businesses like yours that are doing this kind of infrastructure play, this deep infrastructure that changes everything. And I've talked about, I don't want to bore people on this podcast, but I've talked about this a couple of times that I believe that there is a technology frontier of the you know, AI and machine learning and large language model people and they're pushing frontiers and boundaries and quantum computing and the technology frontier of what we're capable of in humanity is just rapidly increasing and going that way. But way behind it, there's an adoption frontier of what's actually adoptable and possible. And that isn't moving as quickly forwards. And so we can talk about quantum and we can talk about large language models which we are and all these different things but you know in the large language model example it's like well there's the where's the adoption frontier on that like how quickly the regulator is going to have to catch up and are those people going to spend all of their millions before this adoption frontier makes it possible to be bought even or you know have they figured that out and so it's a crude example but i think what the infrastructure players like yourself are doing is essentially pushing that adoption frontier forwards. You're allowing other technologies to then be put on so that we can all get more adoption. And I just feel that we can get excited about point and shoot, but as you quite rightly said, the point and shoot, no single point point and shoot thing is going to change everything caveated by it might change everything for a small group of patients or a relatively large group of patients or whatever. So it is still important. I'm not trying to say it's not. But if we're talking about the technologies that we're still going to be talking about in 10 years time beyond the next VC cycle, it's going to be those companies that change the infrastructure. And that's why I think looking at what you guys have been doing and looking at the route that you've taken and where you're playing now, it excites me far more to hear about the more boring side of it, if you know what I mean. It excites me more to hear about the defensibility that you have about the quality of your QMS in your you know, MDR regs and all like it it excites me more to know that you are robust, that you are now a platform that other people can sit on to go and achieve the innovation. Do you see, do you see what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a great deal of sense. I mean, I, um, I think you've just done a much more eloquent job of pitching back our thesis on on, on the sort of B2B side. <laughs> Bring me into the next things. investor meeting, yeah. Series C, yeah, mate. Like, get me in. Get so me in. Get, yeah. Here comes James. To I'll do, have 1% uh, do, do of the deal. Bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're on. You're on. Yeah, look, I, I think the, the reason that it's true is actually profoundly simple, which is that you've got to certainly for as long as, you know, that, the, the timeline that you've talked about can be contemplated by like 10 years or so. You're going to have to get wet stuff out of humans to be analyzed, Mm. right? 
everything about that process is fraught with challenges. Yep. It's either done in a real world environment at much higher cost, or it's done in a um, an unsupervised at home environment at much lower cost. But mm-hmm. every component part of that experience is challenged by the need for mm-hmm. all of the stuff that we talked about. It's, mm-hmm. it's common amongst all of those different use cases. And as you rightly say, it's not to do down any one individual solution. It's just to recognize that one individual solution is highly unlikely to displace everything else. This is the you know, thing. Great. You've built the uh, the blood-based analytics platform that replaces the current methods of analysis. Mm. So what are you doing on genomics? How's your microbiome yeah. game? You know, they're, they're just, they're all so individually complex that the chances of, one of them solving all of the problems, I think, runs close to zero. Hence, how do you do the thing that has to happen, which is to expand the access? How do you get more diagnostic data into the world? I.e., how do you help more people to know what's really going on inside their bodies? More of the time, whether they are a patient in recovery or pre-op or post-op or someone who's just trying to stay out of the operating theories in the first place, you know, how, do you, how do you do that? You've got to have better data. And to then tie that to what you were saying about the you know the massive excitement, and rightly so, around the technology advancements in the LLM and um, and quantum space. But you you know, you're still gonna need the data. You certainly, you know, until we're swallowing live readout microsensors that, you know, tell us stuff that, you know, is is the realm of science fiction. But you know something I don't there, Hamish. That sounds great. I don't, James. Or rather, I do. <laughs> I do know that it's not coming anytime soon. Um, <laughs> much to my personal chagrin, because I'd like to use it. But no, you know that is gonna. That being, um, you know, the big uh, processing capabilities, they're going to be reliant on having better data to be able to inform to inform the insights that they provide. So you are going to need people to, you know, deal with the slightly. Um, less glamorous, how do you get this stuff done repeatedly, safely, at, you know, sensible costs? And, you know, that's, um, yeah, from my perspective, very exciting. And look, we're very fortunate, right? We've got a direct-to-consumer brand as well. So we get to test a lot of this stuff on ourselves and yeah. get to make sure that it's fit for purpose whilst we, uh, well, you know, whilst we provide our partners with it as well. What is next for you guys? What are you, what are you working on the is exciting to you or like what's the next phase like tell me about tell me about the next few months uh what's coming next and we've got a couple of big um partner launches that will hopefully um make some waves just us sort of mm-hmm. getting um getting tighter into a couple of uh uh the verticals that we talked about from a product and technology perspective a, a lot of it is just the continuation of our um of our roadmap so you'll see things like you know easier ways to collect samples coming through mm. um well, you'll see us being able to get a partner who wants to do this turned mm. on very very quickly um so you know our ramp up time i think is probably still best in class but we want to get it down by 75 percent. and actually how do you do that so if you're a you know a startup who wants to get into um diagnostic data because you're going to use it for something um how fast actually from first conversation to you as the partner realizing the value of this solution, there are some quite 
specific pieces of technology again that will enable you to get going more quickly um some of that's white label some of it's um just really unglamorous contract process and um regulation protocol and all that real mate this is the reality yeah 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 it really is it really is so yeah there's all of that going on and then on the d2c side we're starting to very deliberately lean on um what we think is a sort of a, a slightly new consumer awareness. That is to say, an increasing number of people are increasingly aware of this stuff. And it's the sort of Peter Atiyah, uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse, longevity, um, but f- for us, framed in the context of health span. So how much of your years do you actually get to Love live that. in good good years as opposed to tacking more on love that um and i think there's a real i mean i love the fact that it's happening because i care i care about it in my personal life i do a lot of i try to do a lot of the stuff that um you know is going to give me lots of years of good Mm -hmm. life um there's a much bigger group of people i think who are now starting to think in those terms talk in those terms and, and engage in products that that help them to to do that and we're starting to experiment in the direct consumer side with um how we can help those people uh, as well. Uh, awesome. So, yeah. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. I, I think, yeah, I've just really, I just really enjoy catching up with you, mate. I, I think, as I say, I've, I've, me too. you know, I've, I've liked Thrive for ages, like since you came on the first time, I've obviously followed you ever since. And I think everything that you guys have done, I just, I like, I like your, the way that you communicate and your style tells me or gives me a lot of positive signals that you're a good leader. And actually I, you're very genuine in the way that you communicate. And I feel like I understand what the the business feels like a reflection of that. It feels like a reflection of you in that, that sort of honesty of what you're actually trying to achieve. I like that. And I know that you and I have spoken, not just on this podcast before, and I feel exactly the same from those conversations too, that I feel like Thrive is somewhere where I'd like to work if all goes wrong with, uh, with Somex. So you may, may get a knock on the door, mate. (laughs) That's really kind. I can take very, very little credit for that. In reality, it's, you know, 70, 80 people working their backsides off to, to make everything we do a reality. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it is, a, I think, an amazing place to work, but I would say that I'm incredibly honest <laughs> and uh, consider myself very lucky that I get to work there as well. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It, as you rightly say, is always a very enjoyable chat and a great way oh. to uh, spend an hour. So yeah, You're very thanks, welcome, James. sir. You're very welcome. Um, if people want to learn more about Thriver or yourself, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, so Thriver, the D2C brand is thriver.co. Uh, .co and uh, thrivesolutions.com is our uh, home for all things sort of B2B and partners. Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Hamish Grierson, Thriver CEO. That's um, probably the easiest place to find me. And if uh, I take a while to get back to you on LinkedIn, it's because LinkedIn, unfortunately, is just overrun with recruiters and sales can people. Confirm. I can confirm, um, yes. Which is, if you're listening and you're a product manager at LinkedIn really like you to solve that problem somehow because <laughs> i love linkedin it's amazing but um it does mean that i miss stuff sometimes i uh i, I don't want to and look nothing against salespeople or, or recruiters they've got to do what they've got to do just makes the um the platform a bit tricky to navigate anyway sorry that's it me does. that's where you can find me cool appreciate you hamish thanks for coming on mate really appreciate the time thanks james hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode 
Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.